Chapter 17 of The Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas. Translated by Alfred Allenson, 1852 to 1929. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 17 The Baron de Montgobert. Thibault found himself in the Countess's room. If the magnificence of bailiff Magloire's furniture rescued from the lumber room of His Highness the Duke of Orleans had astonished Thibault, the daintiness, the harmony, the taste of the Countess's room filled him with intoxicating delight. The rough child of the forest had never seen anything like it, even in dreams, for one cannot even dream of things of which we have no idea. Double curtains were drawn across the two windows, the one set of white silk trimmed with lace, the other of pale china, blue satin, embroidered with silver flowers. The bed and the toilet table were draped to match the windows, and were nearly smothered in clouds of Valenciennes lace. The walls were hung with very light rose-colored silk, over which thick folds of Indian muslin, delicate as woven air, undulated like waves of mist at the slightest breath of air from the door. The ceiling was composed of a medallion painted by Boucher, and representing the toilet of Venus. She was handing her cupids the various articles of a woman's apparel, and these were now all distributed with the exception of the goddess's girdle. The central medallion was surrounded by a series of panels on which were painted supposed views of Nidos, Paphos, and Amethyst. All the furniture, chairs, armchairs, settees, sociables, was covered with china satin similar to that of the curtains. Over the groundwork of the carpet of the color of pale green water were scattered bouquets of blue cornflowers, pink poppies, and white daisies. The tables were of rosewood, the corner pieces of Indian lacquer, and the whole room was softly lighted by pink wax candles held in two candelabra. A vague and indescribably delicate perfume pervaded the air, one could not say from what sweet essence, for it was scarcely even a perfume, but rather an emanation. The same kind of odorous exhalation whereby Aeneas in the Aeneid recognized the presence of his mother. Thibault pushed into the room by the waiting-maid, made one step forward, and then stopped. He had taken everything in at a glance, inhaled everything at a breath. For a second there passed before his mind's eye like a vision, Agnelette's little cottage, Madame Pollet's dining room, the bedchamber of the bailiff's wife. But they disappeared as quickly to give place to this delicious paradise of love into which he had been transported as by magic. He could scarcely believe that what he looked upon was real. Were there really men and women in the world so blessed by fortune as to live in such surroundings as these? Had he not been carried to some wizard's castle, to some fairy's palace? And those who enjoyed such favor as this, what special good had they done? What special evil had they done, who were deprived of these advantages? Why, instead of wishing to be the baron for four-and-twenty hours, had he not wished to be the countess's lapdog all his life? How would he bear to be Thibault again, after having seen all this? He had just reached this point in his reflections when the dressing-room door opened and the countess herself appeared, a fit bird for such a nest, a fit flower for such a sweet-scented garden. Her hair, fastened only by four diamond pins, hung down loosely to one side while the rest was gathered into one large curl that hung over the shoulder and fell into her bosom. The graceful lines of her lithe and well-formed figure, no longer hidden by puffings of dress, were clearly indicated beneath her loose pink silk gown richly covered with lace so fine and transparent was the silk of her stockings that it was more like pearl-white flesh than any texture and her tiny feet were shod in little slippers made of cloth of silver with red heels 
but not an atom of jewelry no bracelets on the arms no rings on the fingers just one row of pearls round the throat that was all but what pearls worth a king's ransom as this radiant apparition came towards him thibault fell on his knees he bowed himself feeling crushed at the sight of this luxury of this beauty which to him seemed inseparable yes yes you may well kneel kneel lower lower yet kiss my feet kiss the carpet kiss the floor but i shall not any the more forgive you you are a monster in truth madame if i compare myself with you i am even worse than that ah yes pretend that you mistake my words and think i am only speaking of your outward appearance when you know i am speaking of your behavior and indeed if your perfidious soul were imaged in your face you would verily and indeed be a monster of ugliness but yet it is not so for monsieur for all his wickedness and infamous doings still remains the handsomest gentleman in all the country road but come now monsieur ought you not to be ashamed of yourself because i am the handsomest gentleman in the neighborhood asked thibault detecting by the tone of the lady's voice that his crime was not an irremediable one no monsieur but for having the blackest soul and the falsest heart ever hidden beneath such a gay and golden exterior now get up and come and give an account of yourself to me and the countess so speaking held out a hand to thibault which offered pardon at the same time that it demanded a kiss thibault took the soft sweet hand in his own and kissed it never had his lips touched anything so like satin the countess now seated herself on the settee and made a sign to raoul to sit down beside her let me know something of your doings since you were last here said the countess to him first tell me dear countess replied thibault when i last was here do you mean you have forgotten one does not generally acknowledge things of that kind unless seeking for a cause of quarrel on the contrary dear friend it is because the recollection of that last visit is so present with me that i think it must have been only yesterday we were together and i try in vain to recall what i have done and i assure you i have committed no other crime since yesterday but that of loving you that's not a bad speech but you will not get yourself out of disgrace by paying compliments dear countess said thibault supposing we put off explanations to another time no you must answer me now it is five days since i last saw you what have you been doing all that time i am waiting for you to tell me countess how can you expect me conscious as i am of my innocence to accuse myself very well then I will not begin by saying anything about your loitering in the corridors oh pray let us speak of it how can you think countess that knowing you the diamond of diamonds was waiting for me i should stop to pick up an imitation pearl ah but i know how fickle men are and lisette is such a pretty girl not so dear jane but you must understand that she being our confidante and knowing all our secrets i cannot treat her quite like a servant how agreeable it must be to be able to say to oneself i am deceiving the comtesse de montgobert and i am the rival of monsieur Quamoisy. very well then there shall be no more loiterings in the corridors no more kisses for poor lisette supposing of course there ever have been any well after all there is no great harm in that do you mean that i have done something even worse 
Where had you been the other night when you were met on the road between Erneville and villers cotterets Someone met me on the road? Yes. On the Erneville road, where were you coming from? I was coming home from fishing. Fishing? What? Fishing? They had been drawing the Berval ponds. Oh, we know all about that. You are such a fine fisher, are you not, monsieur? And what sort of an eel were you bringing back in your net, returning from your fishing at two o'clock in the morning? I had been dining with my friend, the baron, at Vez. At Vez? Ha! I fancy you went there mainly to console the beautiful recluse, whom the jealous baron keeps shut up. They are a regular prisoner, so they say. But even that I can forgive you. "'What, is there a blacker crime still?' said Thibault, who was beginning to feel quite reassured, seeing how quickly the pardon followed on the accusation, however serious it appeared at first. "'Yes, at the ball given by His Highness the Duke of Orléans.' "'What ball?' "'Why, the one yesterday. It's not so very long ago, is it?' "'Oh, oh, yesterday's ball. I was admiring you.' "'Indeed, but I was not there.' Is it necessary for you to be present, Jane, for me to admire you? Cannot one admire you in remembrance as truly as in person? And if, when absent, you triumph by comparison, the victory is only so much the greater. I dare say, and it was in order to carry out the comparison to its utmost limits, that you danced four times with Madame de Bonneuil? They are very pretty, are they not, those dark women who cover themselves with rouge and have eyebrows like the Chinese mannequins on my screens and mustaches like a grenadier? Do you know what we talked about during those four dances? It is true, then, that you danced four times with her? It is true, no doubt, since you say so. Is that a proper sort of answer? What other could I give? Could anyone contradict what was said by so pretty a mouth, not I, certainly, who would still bless it even though it were pronouncing my sentence of death? And as if to await this sentence, Thibault fell on his knees before the countess, but at that moment the door opened and Lisette rushed in, full of alarm. Ah, monsieur, monsieur, she cried, save yourself! Here comes my master, the count! The count? exclaimed the countess. Yes, the count in person and his huntsman, Lestoc, with him! impossible i assure you madame cramoisy saw them as plain as i see you the poor fellow was quite pale with fright ah then the meet at Turie was all a pretense a trap to catch me who can tell madame alas alas men are such deceiving creatures what is to be done asked the countess wait for the count and kill him said thibault resolutely furious at again seeing his good fortune escaping from him at losing what above all things it had been his ambition to possess. Kill him? Kill the Count? Are you mad, Raoul? No, no, you must fly, you must save yourself. Lisette, Lisette, take the Baron through my dressing-room. And in spite of his resistance, Lisette, by dint of pushing him, got safely away, only just in time. Steps were heard coming up the wide main staircase. The Countess, with a last word of love to the supposed Raoul, glided quickly into her bedroom, while Thibault followed Lisette. She led him rapidly along the corridor where Cromoisy was keeping guard at the other end, then into a room, and through this into another, and finally into a smaller one which led into a little tower. Here the fugitives came again onto a staircase, corresponding with the one by which they had gone up, 
but when they reached the bottom they found the door locked lisette with thibault still following went back up a few steps into a sort of office in which a window looking over the garden this she opened it was only a few feet from the ground and thibault jumped out landing safely below you know where your horse is called lisette jump on its back and do not stop till you get to vauperfond thibault would have liked to thank her for all her kindly warnings but she was some six feet above him and he had no time to lose a stride or two brought him to the clump of trees under which stood the little building which served as stable for his horse but was the horse still there he heard a neigh which reassured him only the neigh sounded he thought more like a cry of pain thibault went in put out his hand felt the horse gathered up the reins and leaped on to its back without touching the stirrups thibault as we have already said had suddenly become a consummate horseman but the horse no sooner felt the weight of the rider on its back than the poor beast began to totter on its legs thibault dug his spurs in savagely and the horse made a frantic effort to stand but in another instant uttering one of those pitiful neighs which thibault had heard when he approached the stable it rolled helplessly over on to its side thibault quickly disengaged his leg from under the animal which as the poor thing struggled to rise he had no difficulty in doing and he found himself again on his feet then it became clear to him that in order to prevent his escape monsieur le comte de montgobert had hamstrung his horse thibault uttered an oath if i ever meet you monsieur comte de montgobert he said i swear that i will hamstring you as you have hamstrung this poor beast then he rushed out of the little building and remembering the way he had come turned in the direction of the breach in the wall and walking quickly towards it found it climbed over the stones and was again outside the park but his further passage was barred for there in front of him was the figure of a man who stood waiting with a drawn sword in his hand thibault recognized the comte de montgobert the comte de montgobert thought he recognized raoul de varparfond draw baron said the count further explanation was unnecessary thibault on his side equally enraged at having the prey on which he had already set tooth and claw snatched away from him was as ready to fight as the count he drew not his sword but his hunting knife and the two men crossed weapons thibault who was something of an adept at quarterstaff had no idea of fencing what was his surprise therefore when he found that he knew by instinct how to handle his weapon and could parry and thrust according to all the rules of the art he parried the first two or three of the count's blows with admirable skill ah i heard i remember muttered the count between his clenched teeth that at last match you rivalled st george's himself at the foils thibault had no conception who st george's might be but he was conscious of a strength and elasticity of wrist thanks to which he felt he might have rivalled the devil himself so far he had only been on the defensive but the count having aimed one or two unsuccessful lunges at him he saw his opportunity struck out and sent his knife clean through his adversary's shoulder the count dropped his sword tottered and falling on to one knee cried help lestoc thibault ought then to have sheathed his knife and fled but unfortunately he remembered the oath he had taken as regards the count when he had found that his horse had been hamstrung he slipped the sharp blade of his weapon under the bent knee and drew it towards him the count uttered a cry but as thibault rose from his stooping posture he too felt a sharp pain between his shoulder blades followed by a sensation as of extreme cold over the chest and finally the point of a weapon appeared above his right breast then he saw a cloud of blood and knew no more lestoc called to his master's aid as the latter fell 
had run to the spot and as thibault rose from hamstringing the count had seized that moment to dig his hunting knife into his back End of chapter 17 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia